One of the greatest lines in the Bible, in my opinion, is here in Psalm 29. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, I've heard this put to music uh, many times, different songs. You see it quoted on those uh, Christian internet memes, you know, where they'll take the picture of the waterfall with the rainbow and the sunset, and then they'll put the, the Bible verse by it, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. But what does that mean? I remember in college, there was a, our Christmas concert had that, and they kept singing, the choir singing, oh, worship the Lord. Oh, it's beautiful. But I didn't know what that meant. What does it mean, worship and holiness? Is holiness beautiful? Is there a beautiful way to worship as opposed to an ugly way to worship? So I thought, let's look at the rest of the psalm it came from. Maybe we can learn something from the context. Maybe the rest of the psalm will give us some clues. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, you gods, to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due God's name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. There it is. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice. The voice of the Lord is a voice of splendor. So it starts out talking about other gods. Listen up, all you other gods. Sometimes in the Old Testament when they write, you get the sense that they didn't deny that maybe other gods existed, but they were always lesser. Or maybe it was a figure of speech and they didn't mean it that literally. But either way, they're telling us to give credit to God for the glory and the strength that he has. God is so powerful, but in a good way. And then it goes on in poetic fashion, picking up at the end of the last line and reemphasizing it. The Bible does this a lot in poetry, where you get these two lines right next to each other, and the second one basically says what the first one said, but a little bit differently. There's some name for it. If you're an English major, you'll have to tell me. Um, but the Bible does this a lot. So, the first line is ascribed to the Lord. Glory do his name. This is like saying, the Lord is powerful and glorious, and his name should be treated as such, right? With honor and respect. So don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, like in the Ten Commandments, or stop using, oh God, and Jesus Christ, like people do all the time in America, like it was a swear word. And then we get that line, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. It's the second part of the line about giving glory to God's name. So beauty and holiness comes with glory and strength. It's a package. Beauty and holiness and glory and strength. There is something beautiful about being in the presence of someone that glorious and strong. The best way to think about it, the best analogy I can think of is kind of the way we worship professional athletes these days, at least the ones who get lots of trophies, ones who don't get trophies, we want them fired, right? You know, I, I, I try to picture, you know, Aaron Rodgers and walking into a bar and Stevens Point, 
you know, and everyone would drop and they'd fall to their knees. Oh, peace upon you, oh, Aaron Rodgers and Kristen Cavalieri. Oh, wait, not Kristen Cavalieri, your new racetrack driver girlfriend. And glory be upon thee. Right? If you think I'm wrong, I'm willing to test my thesis, but I don't have access to Aaron to get him to see what would actually happen. But, right? What is it? Is it the fame? Is it the money? He's got lots of money. You know? Is it, could, be that, could it be that just athletes tend to be kind of buff and we're naturally attracted to people who are strong? I think we do tend to find strength beautiful. I would say this probably goes for personal strength as well. We find confident, strong-willed people more attractive than mousy and weak people who are insecure. A little bit like Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew. Right? If you've read that, and we'll go English major here on you. Right? The two sisters, you know, and, and everybody wants the younger sister because she's kind of quiet and docile. They don't want the older one because she's opinionated and strong-willed and doesn't do what she's told. But the dad has said she, nobody's going to get to marry the younger one until the older one gets married off. And, um, you know, different culture. And, of course, then you have the whole sort of taming part that, you know, eh. But, okay, you run with it. Then the guy comes in, and he recog- he's smart. He recognizes that the older one is far more interesting and fun to be around. He just has to get through that hard exterior, hard exterior, right? The younger one, she has the looks, you know, she's compliant. The older one has smarts. She has opinion. She could actually be more of a partner. Strength is beauty. The Lord God has strength, awesome strength. And to stand in front of that, to see that, to feel that, to experience it, that's awesome. That kind of power is beautiful. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. See what the psalm says. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The Lord is upon the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is a powerful voice, a voice of splendor. So what do we get? More power, more power, more power. God's voice does things. God's voice is kind of a logger, apparently, too. Verse 5. The Lord God breaks the cedar trees. He breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Hermon like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord brings forth lightning flashes. He shakes the wilderness, the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the oak trees writhe. Boy, does that sound like an English major wrote that verse, huh? and strips the forest bare. Hopefully this is a figure of speech. And in the temple of the Lord, all are crying glory. That's a lot of stuff to just do with his voice. Smoke, lightning, broken trees, shaking woods. This is power. This is a display of power. And he does it with his voice. This strength is awesome. It inspires awe. It's destructive and powerful if God wants it to be. And it's glorious. And so we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We stand before the awesome power of God that is clearly bigger and stronger and greater than us. And we stand before that, all that, and all we can do is worship and behold the beauty of it all. 
Holiness is awesome because it's beautiful. It's awesome because it's different than me and my puny power. It's why they used to cover the ceilings of churches with pictures of God like this one. This is from a place in Greece called Korah. God's not like you and me. There's gold. There's fancy designs. There's this expression that he's kind of looking at you. And you can't help but feel a little bit poor and weak when you look in front of that picture of what Jesus is like in all his glory. He's awesome, but he's also very different from you and me. He doesn't look quite like an ordinary person. He kind of does, but everything around him is not ordinary. And maybe that's the point. To give you a sense of Jesus' holiness, of the awesome power and beauty. Contrast this with Buddy Christ. Ever seen that old 90s movie, Dogma? Super blasphemous. But it has points in there, here and there, sprinkled in. In the movie, this, this church, this Catholic church, is desperate for new members. So they take down the Jesus on a cross because all that blood and stuff is too much of a downer. And uh, they thought they'd replace him with this statue to appeal to the youth. They call him Buddy Christ. I look at Buddy Christ, and you know what I see? I see that dude who's sitting at the bar. And I'm just looking up, and all I want to do is see the scores. And I end up glancing at him, and he thinks I'm talking to him. And he, thinks he's, and he thinks I'm interested, so I get, yeah, dude. And I'm thinking, I need to get away. <laughs> That's what I see. I don't see someone I want to come to when I'm in pain. I don't want to see someone who I want to turn to if I lost a child in an accident or saw a refugee kid dying at the border. I don't want to, that, I don't want to turn to that. He is not someone that I can take seriously. This is a joke. That's the point, right? They turned Jesus into a joke. And even George Carlin, who played the bishop, could see that. He's so ordinary. The idea, of course, was to take away all that holiness stuff, all that power, all that might, all that glory, all that stuff about Jesus being so different for me because he's, that, all that stuff's supposed to make him hard to relate to. So let's make him just another guy like you or me. Now, I, hope he, the, I would hope the bishop doesn't think I walk around going like this all the time. But just another guy like you or me can't help me with anything because he doesn't have the power to do anything. I, I don't need to turn to another guy just like me in those moments. I need to turn to someone with real power and wisdom. I need to turn to someone who's not like me to show me the truth. I can look in the mirror, I can phone a friend, but when I want to confront real pain and struggle in life, I want someone who's different, someone other, someone holy. That's why I would rather have gold mosaic Jesus than buddy Christ. It's not to say that maybe gold mosaic Jesus sometimes isn't a little bit much, or that he might seem so holy that he's kind of scary. I get that. That's why I like 
classic 19th century stained glass window Jesus. <laughs> this was the window of my home church in Minnesota. Jesus is holy and he's special. He's in stained glass, so you get all that light. And he's also very human, walking around with his sheep. You get a sense that he's different, but also approachable. It's a nice balance. But I know it doesn't have the same effect for everyone. Some people don't like stained glass. But the idea of coming together so that we can worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness is something that we can do whenever we come before God with honor and respect and praise. And when we do that, whether we do that in a storefront or in a cathedral, it's remembering that God's awesome, power to change lives, that God's different from us. That's what makes it worship. Moses, when he comes to Mount Sinai, right? Sinai, like I told the kids, it's a dirt rock if you Google it. It's, it's, there's hardly anything growing there. It's not that special of a place in and of itself. And God appears to Moses, now with jewels, and thrones, and a big light show, except that, well, as soon as I wrote that, I'm like, yeah, he did come with a big light show. But it's there on this dirt rock, this hard sandstone rock, that God appears to Moses in a burning bush, and he tells Moses to take off his sandals because it's holy ground. What makes the ground holy? God is there. It's God's special, powerful presence that makes it holy ground. Not the nature of the flooring. It's the power of God, the presence of God. And there's a part of holiness that is a little bit uncomfortable and scary. When the prophets stand in the presence of God, they get overwhelmed. They fall to the ground right away in fear. When Paul sees Jesus, when Paul sees the resurrected Jesus, he falls off his horse and loses his sight. It's that awesome. And so I wonder, I wonder if sometimes we try to make God so much of a buddy and a pal and a dude just like me that he no longer has the power to do anything for me. And he becomes irrelevant. It's in being different and powerful that we are beautiful and that we can make a change in the lives we encounter. It's in being different and powerful and beautiful that God can change the lives of those who encounter him. Amen.